0: Welcome to the Kingo Podcast, where we interview published authors, screenwriters, and story consultants to answer the question, what makes a great story? If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. Let's start today's show. So Meg Latour is a writer of adult science fiction and fantasy, YouTuber and founder of iWriterly, developmental book editor, writing coach, creator of the free query platform query Hack, co-host of the show Publishable, and a former literary agent. Thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show today, Meg.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you have this fantastic blog post about the red flags that editors look for in a manuscript. Uh, it was it was incredibly informative to me. And I was wondering if you could share with us what are some of those red flags?
1: Absolutely. So I have nine tips that I'm going to kind of as quickly as I can. I'm going to run through them.
0: No, the- take your time. Take your time. <laughs>
1: The first red flag is when writers start the story in a non-pivotal moment, or nothing happens in the first chapter. So, for example, a character is waking up, or a character is going through their regular daily routine, or maybe the characters are sitting down for breakfast and just talking. We do need to see what normal life is like for the protagonist and before everything changes, so i.e. the inciting incident. But there are engaging ways to do that, and you also don't want to show the scene for too long as it really isn't engaging to read, so the first pages of your manuscript need to do a few things. It needs to introduce us to your protagonist or another character central to the plot, it needs to suck us into your narrative style of storytelling, so frequently this is done through your opening with a scene that is pivotal to your character's story, It needs to also give us a sense of place, so help us get to know your setting and start building your world, especially if it's like science fiction and fantasy, and then give the reader a reason to cheer your character on, even if they're supposed to be unlikable. Red flag number two is too much telling versus showing, and we'll go with the famous Anton Chekhov quote. If I'm saying his name correctly, is "Don't tell me the moon is shining; show me the glint of light on broken glass." In other words, in the opening pages, be careful of telling versus showing. So, a couple of things that I see a lot of writers do is telling the relationship between characters, like "This is my best friend since childhood; he always makes me laugh," and so on. You, all, a lot of writers also will tell the emotions of the protagonist rather than describing them in such a way that the readers can experience those emotions with the protagonist. There's a time for telling and then um, there's also a time for showing, but another instance is telling the backstory through dialogue. Be careful that you don't use dialogue as that sort of narrative tool or telling how a character is physically feeling or what the weather is like outside. In a lot of these instances, it really is just stronger to show us these things. Red flag number three is too much backstory or backstory that constantly pulls the reader from the scene whenever possible. Avoid information dumps and reveal only the information that's absolutely essential for the reader to know as it relates to the story you're telling at that moment. In addition, weave the information into the scene whenever you can rather than constantly pulling the reader out of the scene. Red flag number four is floating heads. This is the opposite of information dumps, which we talked about a little bit in red flag number three. This is where there's a bunch of characters that are just talking right from the beginning of the story, but the reader doesn't really know who the protagonist is, who the other characters are, the setting, the scene, and why they should care. So ground the reader in the scene and be careful not to let your characters completely take the reins and chat for pages and pages. Red flag number five is advert adverb or adjective heavy writing. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory and it's something that so, so many new writers do. Really don't, don't just grab a thesaurus and dump as many fantastic words as you can onto the page. It, it doesn't read smoothly and it just, it's usually just a sign of a newer writer. Uh, Red flag number six is the scene or a story that lacks stakes or a plot. Sometimes new writers dive into the story of their heart and they really enjoy creating the characters and worlds, But, you know, only nothing really happens and there aren't stakes for the protagonist or the world. So, for example, maybe the protagonist lives on a horse farm over the summer and they miss their friends from school or back home. And that's really all that happens. There's no one jeopardizing the state of the farm or threatening to buy the property or anything like that. So, while the antagonist can be self or maybe... uh, I don't know, the world or nature or something like that. There does need to be like a plot or something at stake throughout the story. Red flag number seven is a protagonist with a weak voice or a protagonist who's too unlikable. Give the reader a reason to cheer your character on. What do they want? What's preventing them from getting what they want when the book starts. And if the protagonist is meant to be an unlikable character, which is happens in tons of different books, they really have to be sympathetic, uh, excuse me, they have to have a sympathetic backstory, a vulnerability, and some type of relatable motivation in order to really pull the readers in. Red flag number eight is a storytelling style that is too sweet or lacks realistic human responses to unfortunate situations. I'm thinking of like young adult fantasy, maybe like Uh, There's a person who's hiding away, and they don't know that they're coming from some magical line, and some people come and kill their parents and kidnap them, and they're very forgiving of these people, or maybe they date these people later on, and I don't know. It could just be me, but um, a lot of times, it just seems a little too sweet, or maybe they're forgiving or bouncing back from these situations. They don't mourn or go through the, you know, kind of normal human process, and red flag number nine is the pages are littered with factual inaccuracies, so find reputable sources when you're researching. Wikipedia does not count. Ideally, sources should be as close to firsthand accounts as you can get. For example, if a historian wrote a book about a topic and they reference the sources that they used when writing the book, go check out those sources. The historian, this historian in this particular example, is not a firsthand account. The farther we get from the original source, the more kind of watered down the information gets. And don't trust everything you find online. There are many fake news and you know websites or websites that are kind of pretending to be an institution of sorts. So do your due diligence. Do your research. Another thing is to utilize libraries and other standardized institutions when you are first doing some digging. And remember that history is written by the conquerors and not the conquered. Try to find sources from both of the opposing sides if you can, especially if it has to do with like wars or battles or something like that.
0: That is fascinating. I'm going to have to go through all those points and integrate them into my story notes because there are some great tips in there. Now, I know you mentioned in there a bit about character, and I was curious, what makes a character three-dimensional?
1: That is a good question. A three-dimensional character is essentially a fully formed person. They think for themselves and they react to situations and they have their own goals and objectives and they see the world through a specific lens. And for me, I often pair making a three-dimensional character with giving a character a unique voice. So to make a character leap off the page, the first thing in my mind is to avoid archetypes and stereotypes. I'm going to do a quick example here of like a wise old wizard who got the reluctant farm boy to his destiny which is you know to save the world from a rising evil and the antagonist has no motives beyond bringing doom and destruction to the world just because he feels like it so think about those archetypes and stereotypes and twist them do something different and make your characters unique so they're not just an archetype next is to create a backstory for your character if they're important enough to have a name And the reader needs to know what motivates that character to do anything. So the character's personality, history, and vocation will also impact how they view the world. Another quick thing is for both dialogue and the narrative, word choice is key. So is your character educated? In which case they might have like a flowing, beautiful vocabulary, or maybe they never received a formal education and they speak in contractions and sentence fragments. So where did your character grow up? Or the culture or region will likely impact their choice of words as well as how they see the world. So going back to that kind of lens metaphor. How old is your character? If they're young, they might not really have an extensive vocabulary yet, or they might see the world through a child's hopeful or curious perspective. Are they confident or shy, or do they have unique quirks or mannerisms? All of these things will really contribute to what words a character says internally or externally. Another thing to consider is mannerisms or physical descriptions that can really help to characterize your protagonist and secondary character. So don't be afraid to utilize those things as well. Other quick things that you can give to your characters, flaws, conflicting beliefs, goals and plans to achieve those goals make them really good or really bad at something or make them vulnerable or relatable in some capacity. And again, I feel like I can't emphasize this enough. Every single named character should have a distinct personality that is conveyed through showing and not telling in the story. So many like newbie writers will name kind of everybody, the innkeeper and the maid and uh, like just, you know, people that they see on the street, but if they don't come up again, you really don't need to name them. Uh, so, anyways, conveying a distinct or a distinct voice or creating a three-dimensional character really comes down to one thing: showing that unique personality of your character and how they they view the world, give a character a unique lens. Again, we're going back to that metaphor for how they view the world and their circumstances.
0: I love that. So do you personally have like a checklist that you use when you're creating a, a character personality or what's your process for that?
1: That's a really good question. And honestly, it has changed for every single manuscript. Um, I know there's like character profiles and questionnaires and stuff, and I've tried those. What often happens for me is I will start... I, I use Google Docs, and so I'll kind of list a bunch of characters, and I will like start with a couple of things, like a couple of physical descriptions, a couple of ticks maybe that they have, and I usually will talk about what their desire is at the beginning of the book, what do they think that they want, and then what do they actually want by the end of the book. And then it's usually a process of discovery for me for the characters as I'm writing them. i like, ugh, they're like an archetype right now. I have to go back and change a few things. So for me, I just kind of, I do discover right, and that makes my second drafts a lot of work. But uh, I would say if, you know, if the, you know, the listeners out there are plotters or they're archi- architects, depending on the plotter, pantser, architect, gardener conversation, you know, consider trying out a couple of the character profiles, questionnaires, and just see, you know, kind of what works for you.
0: So that's interesting. You, you're you a discovery writer because you sound like, you sound like a planner.
1: I am. I'm a hardcore planner for the plot, but um, I guess for my characters, I that is where I do the discovery writing. So I guess I'm, I'm part gardener, part architect. <laughs> That's
0: good. Uh, this this screenwriting teacher called Corey Mandel talks about needing to be an integrated writer, which is taking aspects from both. Which it sounds like you've done.
1: I kind of by accident. I I think all writers, you know, we start off. Uh, most of us kind of pants our way through the, the first couple of novels and then we're like, ah, maybe this thing isn't working. And then they, you kind of try a bunch of things. And I think there's kind of, you can find the best of both worlds depending on kind of how your brain works and how you form stories. So yeah, if you guys like to pl- plot or you like to kind of pants, try both sides. And you know, you might find that you like a little bit of both.
0: What do you think make, make sort of the best set of stakes for a good plot?
1: I think the best stakes need to be personal for the character as well as impact their world in some way. So impacting the world really means different things for different genres. And fantasy, that could mean the antagonist wins the war and enslaves the world, but while like contemporary, the impact on the world could be not getting a grant for a research project the protagonist was trying to put together. So in the beginning of the story, the protagonist usually wants something, but there's something in the way keeping them from getting what they want. And then throughout the novel, the protagonist usually works in pursuit of that desire. And some Sometimes they learn that they actually didn't want the thing that they thought that they wanted but then they want or need something else instead by the end of the story but regardless a story with the best stakes usually involves a protagonist and other characters working toward a goal so think about what will happen if your protagonist doesn't achieve their goal what are they risking and what could they lose if the answer is nothing your stakes are probably not high enough And how personally invested is your protagonist in the outcome of the central conflict? How much does achieving that goal matter to them? If the answer is really not very much, your stakes probably still aren't high enough. And then think about what are the external consequences for your protagonist's actions? Like in other words, how will other characters or the world at large be affected? What are the repercussions if the protagonist doesn't achieve their goal? If the answer is none, again, your stakes really aren't high enough. So... A few tips here is to include personal stakes within a larger scale conflict and your character's choices should have consequences and raise the stakes through tension and careful pacing. And then, you know, maybe consider adding timeline or a time limit to achieve the protagonist's goals. Like, I don't know, the the bad guy is coming in two days and so I have to solve this problem within two days before the armies get here. I don't know. You know, just add like a timeline or time limit of some sort.
0: Uh, I especially like that idea that the character if if the character can walk away, then the stakes aren't high enough. I and mean, that sounds yes. like a great litmus test,
1: yes, definitely.
0: so you're a science fiction and fantasy author, which means I'm sure you are a world builder as well.
1: I love world building a little too much sometimes. <laughs>
0: That's always a challenge, right? Like when do you stop world building, right?
1: Yes. I love me some info dumps. My uh, critique partners tell me that. So (laughs) yeah.
0: That's great. So how do we integrate world building cleanly and seamlessly into a story so so that it's not an info dump?
1: That is an excellent question. I would say only include information that the reader needs to know at that point in the story in order to understand the central conflict and plot. So avoid info dumps. Be careful you don't have too many named characters or places too soon. Really sprinkle them in throughout the first few chapters. And use the setting and character descriptions and social interactions, et cetera, to strategically convey the tone of the story. So, like, if two soldiers are talking rather than using dialogue tags, he said, she said, describe the differing uniforms. Are they from different kingdoms? Is there animosity between those two kingdoms? You can really kind of play up those setting and social interactions and the tone of the story through kind of. Uh, what we were just describing and think carefully of what you name your characters and cities and worlds etc especially if you write science fiction fantasy which is obviously where a lot of my um, expertise is in so confusing names are really hard to remember for the reader or like why are the names that you want to use important and is there a name that you could use that would be easier for the reader to remember I think of like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and all these long winding names that you're like well they're fun but like to this day I still can't keep all of them straight so Think carefully, kind of, of the names and stuff that you choose, and instead of focusing on large-scale details of the world, focus on only the world surrounding your protagonist and the central plot. You can broaden that scope, like later on in the story or series, as needed. So, so many newbie writers are usually writing the first book in a series, especially where I'm concerned, because kind of where my expertise is, are they want to query the first book in a series. And they focus so, so heavily on the world, whereas most people are really just interested in the protagonist and the characters and how all the kind of world building actually relates to the main central plot. So again, dig deep, dive down, circle in on the protagonist and how the, all those things relate to their story. And the last tip I'll give here is use all the senses. Don't rely on strictly sight and sound to convey everything.
0: That's, those are great tips. I like that idea of sort of just having it support the plot and the story, you know, make it yeah. make it uh, consequential.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So recently I've been really interested in the start of a story and particularly with creating interesting hooks. Um, do you like, recommend starting a story with the protagonist's worst day or do you have any techniques as far as that goes?
1: That's such a, a funny question, um, but I wouldn't necessarily... Say to start it on the protagonist's worst day, I usually recommend starting the story somewhere around the moment where everything changes for the protagonist. When do they leave their normal life behind and the plot begins? That could mean it's their worst day, but it might not. But I usually recommend starting the story somewhere around the inciting incident. That is usually within, what is it, the first 15% of the book. And that again is just where you go from the normal life, the characters going about their days or whatever. And then something happens that prevents them from going back to their normal life and they have to pers- they have to make a decision. And then they usually move forward with the plot.
0: So what are some techniques for creating interesting hooks?
1: I would say to read books that have been recently published in your desired age category and genre first. So in order to make something interesting and know how to hook a reader, you really have to first understand the age category and genre that you're writing. So, by reading books that have been recently published in your age category and genre, you'll get a feel for trends, what's selling and what are readers eager to read right now, and also what character scenarios or magic systems, etc., has been done a lot right now. Consider either having a unique twist on existing popular character types or stories or writing a story that may not be popular right now. For example, Fae have been really popular for some time, as well as like magical boarding schools. And vampires and shapeshifters were popular and then went out of favor, though I hear they're making a comeback. So keep a finger on the pulse of your age category and genre, and do your best to kind of stand out in that. So maybe if you want to write about Fae, um, think about what's been done and how you can you like uniquely twist it in order to stand out and have a hook for your story or do something completely different make up some kind of magical group Uh, sorry guys I keep referring to fantasy and science fiction but that's kind of where my experience is but you know think about it either do something completely unique start from scratch or kind of again play with kind of existing trends and make your hook from there.
0: Do you have any process for structuring your book or for outlining from a, a planning perspective?
1: That is a good question. Uh, I would say the most popular resource right now is the uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel that has those beat sheets. I've referenced them, and I, I want to try writing my next novel using those like three act sort of beat sheets, but. Because I've read so many books and, you know, I worked at a literary agency, I interned there and then I kind of moved up the ranks and then obviously reading books in my free time and then writing my own manuscripts, uh, you know, I've written a bunch of them at this point. I just, I've read so much that I, I don't operate off of kind of a template. I, I kind of, I know where the beats are in my head, the inciting incident and the turning points and the rising uh, action and the climax and the falling and all that sorts of stuff. So I kind of just know what it is in my head, but I do want to try to work off of a formula for my next one. I'm really going to play up that plotter uh, side of me for the next manuscript.
0: No, that's powerful. If you, if you've written so much and read so much, like you said, you know, and you can have that become an intuitive process that, that feels like it would be the best.
1: Yeah. Um, Are you, what do you write?
0: Actually science fiction, fantasy.
1: Ah, nice. Okay. So now for you, are would you consider yourself a plotter or a pantser or gardener or architect?
0: I am the most planner that there ever was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Awesome. So what do you work off of? Do you have like a beat sheet or something like that that you like to use when you're planning your uh, manuscripts?
0: Yeah. And I, I come pretty much from the screenwriting world. Uh, okay. So yes, I've crea- I've kind of compiled together a bunch of different things into my own sort of structure that I really like. Screenplays are generally far more structured just because they tend to need to be more economical due to the, the time restrictions and word count. But uh, yeah, I've basically stitched together a bunch of different things.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, and if I can ask a question, Please. Uh, I received a question recently on our show publishable, and it was something about a writer who's writing a novel and they also want to write screenplays. What are your thoughts from, you know, kind of your experiences on writers that want to do both, which should you do first? If you want to do the same story, like, and kind of have it across both mediums, how does that work?
0: Oh, wow. That's a great question.
1: Was not mine. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of sharing it. So someone who asked
0: me, it's a great question. Well, I, you know, I've heard, just from a purely business perspective, there are people who will write a book first. Even if they may have written a screenplay first, but what they'll do is they'll write a book in order to try to gain an audience because it's much, you know, in terms of cost, it's easier to produce a book than a film and so they'll create the book try to get an audience and use that audience as sort of leverage to sell their screenplay because you know selling a sc- somebody was saying there's no guaranteed way to sell a screenplay but there are things you can do to increase the probability of selling a screenplay and so from a business perspective i could see wanting to write the book first because you can actually write it and produce it and get it out there and, and have your story uh, be actually read. And then trying to convert that leverage into a screenplay.
1: That is fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. I thought that was a great, I thought that was a creative approach to trying to get into film. Um, from a story structure standpoint, I don't know necessarily that one or the other has to come first. I do know, as I kind of mentioned, that screenplays generally need to be more economical Um, pretty much everything needs to be a setup or a payoff it needs to be mirrored around the midpoint Um, and then you know executives and producers they look for not all the time but they generally look for those structured beats uh, because in in a lot of ways audiences have become accustomed to those beats and, and knowing where on a, on a intuitive level where the movie's going, basically.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. And that's so interesting. And again, if I yeah, steal the microphone again, uh, <laughs>
0: I've never had this happen.
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I'm curious for then for screenwriters. Do, do you need an agent as well? Or is it operate differently than book publishing?
0: Yeah, you generally have an agent, but it's there's actually a whole a whole thing going on that I just discussed this with our last guest. Um, with the there's Writers Guild is is trying to negotiate with the agents, and they couldn't come to a deal. And the Writers Guild basically said, "Everybody, fire your agents." And um, my last guest was saying, uh, Shannon Johnson, basically that that's what's happening: people are firing their agents, and um, it's kind of a it's, we don't know what's going to happen because it hasn't happened in the recent, in our recent history. So we don't know where that's going to go. But the short answer to your question is yes, you generally get an agent.
1: Well, I'm going to hand back the mic now.
0: (laughs) No, no, that's great. There's, there's a question that I like to ask all of our guests here. And that's sort of this elusive question to me of what separates a good story from a timeless story? Because you can, you know, you can follow a lot of these these great tips about having cause and effect and having the structured beats and having a proactive protagonist, but and that might result in a good story, but how do you take it up to the next level and make a timeless story?
1: Another fantastic question, and this is going to be possibly a controversial answer, but I think that to make a timeless story, you have to be cautious to not write purposely toward trends. So if something is trending right now and you're writing to the trend for a quick buck, whether you're self-publishing or traditional publishing, you have to be careful because then you're not kind of making your mark in the space. You're, you're following someone else's mark to use the, a very odd metaphor. So I think that if you really wanna make a timeless story, think about know your market, know your age category and genre, know what's doing well, and then also think about creatively what inspires you, what kind of pulls on your heartstrings, what story do you need to tell, and how will that fit into the marketplace? How can you make it the most unique possible given the current publishing climate? And just kind of go from there. So again, I would just caution writers against chasing trends if they want to kind of have a, a timeless tale.
0: That's fascinating. So you're kind of you're kind of combining um, needing a strong emotional theme or you know having that that heart in the story with like I said not not chasing trends but being aware of the demographic or being aware generally how it will be received
1: yeah i think it's good to be aware of it
0: well meg uh where can we find you where what's your website and all of your social media and do you have anything uh going on that we should know about
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I exist all over the internet. My website is iWriterly.com. And we're on YouTube under iWriterly. And then I'm on Twitter under Meg Latour, Instagram under Meg underscore Latour. And I'm also on Facebook. And stuff that's going on, uh, we have a, a new show, Publishable. We are three episodes in, and it's all about kind of comparing self versus traditional book publishing and as well as hybrid publishing, kind of which path might be best for an author, depending on, you know, what they want to get out of it. So a lot of cool stuff. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time. I, I know from your resume and from everything you do that you are incredibly busy. So I appreciate it.
1: Oh my goodness. It's my pleasure. Thank you again for having me.
0: Thanks to Meg Latour for taking the time to be here with us today and for sharing her writing and storytelling knowledge. You can find links to her site and social media in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. You can learn more about storytelling and writing lessons at kingo.com. That's K I I N G O.com. That's all for today. Now, let's get to work and write some great stories.